Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast uh, here on the Raised with Jesus Podcast. We we don't often thank our, our host, but uh, thank you, Pastor Peter Hagen, for hosting us and uh, giving us a, an audience to listen. Uh, and thank you, all of you who do listen. Uh, I'm here today with uh, Pastor Dusty Burgundy. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and uh, my co-host is... Zeridishai, the father of Shalumiel, the tribal chief of Simeon's descendants. So, uh, Zeridishai, uh, would you like to uh, welcome Pastor Burgundy? And well, yeah, thanks. thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for being here, Dustin. So, you serve right now in Zion in Bristol. So, what can you tell us about your mis- ministry at Zion and Bristol, Wisconsin? Well, Bristol, Wisconsin is a pretty happening place. Um, small town charm, small town charm in Bristol, and just a great place to live. Uh, it's a it's a growing area. Lots of people seem to be moving in the area, and so are they fleeing uh, Illinois? Probably, but um, sorry, sorry to all the Illinois listeners. Uh, oh, they know. Okay, um, no it, people are. People are moving into the area, and it's kind of cool to see new faces in church pretty regularly. So, and you have there's a Renaissance fair. There's a Renaissance fair in Bristol. That's one of the first things people tell me when I say I'm from Bristol. Oh, there's a Renaissance fair. So that's <laughs> yes, I know that. Kind Thank of a you. <laughs> kind of a big deal. Um, so, have you gone to the Renaissance fair yet? I've been to the Renaissance fair. One of the Actually, perks of being a Bristol resident is you can put your name in at the town hall and they'll send you four free tickets every year. So oh. if you were thinking about moving to Bristol and needed another you know, piece of encouragement, there you go. So what so. did you go dressed as? I just went dressed as myself when I went to the Renaissance Fair. Mo- modern era, yeah. Dusty Burgundy. Absolutely. You would have made a fantastic night. <laughs> sure. Sure. So. so there's a question, uh, Zerishadai, there's a question that um, you've been making a habit of asking yes. our guests. And I want, and you want to ask Pastor Burgundy that question? I do. I'm glad you brought it up. So Dustin, are you related to Jeremy or Abby Lightning in any way? No. Okay. Thanks for, just, I'm just very curious about that. Yeah. But fun fact, uh, Pastor Burgundy... We do have a connection, and that is of you do. Uh, his previous uh, congregation that he served in Barry, Vermont, was the uh, congregation where my dad's dad was a member. So yes, and I uh, believe uh, he was instrumental in founding the congregation. That could be. That yes. Could be. So. Yeah. So what else is going on in Bristol? Are there progress days? Yeah, we've got progress days this weekend in Bristol. Uh, kind of a big deal in Bristol. You guys have a lot of big deals in Bristol. Yeah, we do. Um, it's it's a fun place. Uh, there's all sorts of activities and stuff. Actually, I've got members of my church who are on the committee. They could probably tell you a lot more about it than I could. But all sorts of all sorts of activities um, in Bristol. We've got a parade on Sunday. Our church is going to be in the parades. So if you want to come out and and say hi to us, uh, we'll be out there. Uh, there's what's, car. What's car- your float look like? Uh, we're going to be doing a "God Bless America" theme for our float. Uh, we, the theme of the parade is "May all your dreams come true in 2022." 
So our, our dream is that God would bless our nation. So, um, are you giving anything away? Candy, water, anything like I'm that? I'm looking forward to throwing some candy out, maybe some little Frisbees to play with. So kind of cool. Food. So, there's, I know there's food and other carnival games and stuff, uh, fireworks on Sunday night. So so when I, I remember when I was a kid, we went to Progress Days a few times. I don't know if this is what yours is, but it was the old-time farm equipment, the the thresher uh, and you know, all the different ways that they would be able to cut down and bale hay before they had all of the motorized equipment that they have now. Mm-hmm. Is that part of your progress days? Um, I, that might be part of the progress days. So, okay. Yeah. I, I love Vermont and uh, it, it's a beautiful state. I, I highly encourage people to visit there. And I wouldn't mind. I've always thought I would love living there. So were you assigned out of the seminary there? I was not assigned out of the seminary there. I was actually assigned to Abita Springs, Louisiana, okay, which is in the deep south. Um, so I went from the deep south to about as far north as you can get. So, And now I'm here in Wisconsin. What, I, I remember that now that you say that. And uh, that, I bet there's stories you could tell about the deep south as well but i I just wanted i brought up vermont because i wanted to ask what it's like living there and what it's like doing ministry there um it's it's a very beautiful place probably probably one of the most beautiful places i've ever been in my life um it was it was nice to uh, have a mountain view out the front door of my house um didn't have a hard time passing that up every day. Um, people were people were nice there. Uh, the congregation was 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 a small congregation, but some really wonderful people there. Um, beautiful stories of faith that I heard from them as I as I served them there. So I know one of the gentlemen that we've called to serve here at Water of Life is was out east. I'm not sure where anymore, but. Uh, one of the things he talked about was just how atheistic it is out there. Is that what you found? Yeah, um, definitely some challenges to to sharing the gospel there. Um, maybe that's true on both coasts as well, but um, definitely some challenges to to because that seems to be just everywhere over there. Yeah, they don't grow up with. I'm going to guess they just don't have the Christian schools like we have here, mm-hmm. Catholic and Lutheran, so, yeah. forth, so they just yeah. have no clue about Christianity. Yeah. My, my grandpa always uh, had a name for the capital of the state. He called it Montpeculiar. <laughs> Montpeculiar. That's good. Yeah. So interesting, interesting little, that was a interesting city too, um, being there as well. So tell, tell us about... Um, uh, Beta Springs, and I think is the current pastor there. His name is. Um, uh, did you know who that is? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Patrick uh, Frazy is That's is pastor there. Yeah, he's he's been there since I since I took the call. So, what, what's ministry like in the Deep South? In the de- very different from um, very different from Vermont. Um, a lot more a lot more welcoming um, as far as you know to the gospel and that I found down there um, wonderful people down there as well wonderful people who knew how to cook um, mm. I've actually found that everywhere I've gone but maybe it's just for me but um, did, you, did you eat gator I did All I right. did. Got, um, what does that taste like 
tastes like chicken. <laughs> no, it was. See, the reason I asked that is uh, one of our guests that we had on our podcast, Katie Sunstall, that I saw her at the youth rally. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting. My daughter Lydia was there as a counselor, and Lydia said, Hey, uh, Mrs. Sunstall is here. And to, what Katie told me is she saw my girls, Belle and Lydia, there, but she had never really met them. But she just said, hey, Zarling, because she knew that they looked like Zarlings. And so I, I went and talked to Katie, and she grew up in Louisiana in New Orleans. Okay. And so I was talking to Katie about Shelly and I getting together with her husband, Jared, and Katie, and they live in Mobile, Alabama, and then going down to New Orleans, not during Mardi Gras, made that clear, but go down there, and I asked her, I said, so... I said, you can be our tour guide because all I know to do in in New Orleans would be to eat gator, feed gators, and then take a boat to go see the gators. So is there other stuff to do in Louisiana? There's yeah, there's yeah, gators is a big part of it, but <laughs> there's there's a lot there's a lot of um, cool cultural stuff. Um, if you like music, it's a great place for music, along with all sorts of good food. I did to, I did to, say that. I, the only other thing I saw in New Orleans to do, well, obviously there's the music, but there's, they said you know stay away from Bourbon Street, but they, uh, I did see a lot of museums for voodoo. I, I was just going to ask, did you have a, a lot of uh, interaction with uh, the, or run, run in with the occult? Um, I would say I, you know, you talk about like exorcisms and stuff like that. I've actually been to. A couple of people's homes where they said that they felt a spirit in there and hey pastor can you can you come and visit and yeah I did and you know you have a devotion with them and pray with them and speak God's word to them and you know and speak to speak to you know whatever spirits might be in there as well and it did that as well a couple of times that I can remember did you and, tell did you tell them to leave yes I told them to leave and you know, amazing, you know, people would talk to me afterwards, you know, the, and they would tell me that, you know, what we felt in there, we don't feel it in there anymore. And it's like, well, you know, stay in God's word and keep reading God's word and keep reading it aloud, yeah. especially. And, you know, singing uh, some hymns. I, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just going to repeat what you just said out loud. Yes. Is important. And, yeah. and uh, I, I would suggest to people that uh, although it may, you know, Louisiana, New Orleans have, may have that connotation. This is this is something that is worldwide, and and it's in our it's our homes too. That uh, the devil is active, and absolutely we need to be saying God's word out loud. Yeah, yeah. So, according to the people that I visited, they said it certainly made a difference. You know, reading God's word. So did word. you did you use the bless the house uh, order of service that's in the uh, pastor's, pastor's companion. Yeah. I didn't use that actually. I just okay. read not, some not Bible passages. Yeah, yeah, I read some Bible passages, said some prayers, and, okay. and then. Well, the reason I ask is I've had a few of our members ask me to come over and bless the house. And not because there were any spirits or anything, mm-hmm. but. Uh, and I just that heard, you knew of? Yes. Uh, and I, I just heard a recent podcast of another pastor's, and they were talking about, you know, blessing this house, blessing. The animals, the LCA likes to do that kind of stuff. But uh, what these guys were saying, and I, I agree with them, is if people are asking you to come over and bless something, go over and bless it. You know, uh, share God's word out loud, like you guys are saying. Um, 
it, what is the uh, funerals? They have like the the jazz funerals, or is that is that a thing? Did you ever see that? I I saw it. I never participated in one. Yeah, but, um, you didn't have a Lutheran jazz. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> but um, you know, it'd be kind of interesting. You'd be, you know, in a you know sitting down in a restaurant somewhere down in New Orleans, down by the French Quarter, and, and you see a you know funeral procession going by, and it was just like the most joyous occasion that you can imagine. Just everybody. So, how close was your church to New Orleans? Our church. It was about. I'd say probably about a 45-minute drive, although if you're familiar with the landscape of Louisiana, there's a huge lake between where we lived and New Orleans. So for that 45-minute drive, it was about 24 miles across this huge bridge across this lake. So um, I was just talking to some people yesterday or the other day that were talking about the fear of driving over bridges and stuff like that. And I said, well, you probably wouldn't want to <laughs> live that, near New Orleans. So j- just so I have that straight, that's a 24-mile bridge. 24-mile bridge, yeah. Wow. Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. That's crazy. Um, I think they said it was like the longest bridge, I don't know if it was in the country or the world, that's continuously over land. So maybe there should be some other longer bridges, but not continuously. But you, you just reminded me of uh, some members of ours that I had in Kansas who used to live in Delaware, and they were telling us about uh, that out on the East Coast, there's a lot of, you know, traffic by the sea, by the, by the ocean Atlantic. And uh, they actually were saying there's a highway, and, and you can see pictures of it online, I think, that it it goes uh, out into the ocean, and then it actually goes down into the ocean, and there's like a, a tube. You, you drive down into a tube that goes under the ocean and then comes up, you know, the other side at, at uh, New Jersey or something. I don't know. But, wow. uh, yeah, that, that kind of freaked me out. <laughs> Wouldn't be your first choice for a road trip? No, no. I, I, yeah. So one thing I want to ask you, too, going back to Bristol, mm-hmm. is I heard this on the news yesterday. I don't know if you've heard about this, that the Seminoles want to build a casino in Bristol. Have you heard about that? I've heard just a little bit. I don't know a whole lot of details about that. Oh, because I but... was wondering if you, if the church had some plans, because you know, to to evangelize to the people that were coming to the or protest you know, the casino. No, 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 evangelize. Because I, I had my idea was that you could get Jeremy and you guys could have the Zion Brewery right there by the casino and that and you could do bible studies that in the work. brewery because i yeah. know pastors that do that there you go so i'm looking out for you guys it, that's that's an idea I, I i don't know if it would work with the high schoolers there'd be some underage problems there but uh my ministry to the high schoolers might suffer i don't know well i i thought i would contribute at least one drill to your brewery if <laughs> I had to bring a, the drill in. I'll, I'll use, I'll use, yes, I'm going to use your drill. No worries. I had, to, I had to bring a drill in for Jeremy so he could uh, brew his beer because his batteries are running out on this it, drill. It's it's how I grind the grain for brewing the beer. Okay. You get all these intricacies in this podcast. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have hobbies? Um, Yeah. I've, I've, what are you doing tonight? I wanted to ask you, what are you doing with your family tonight, Dustin? I'm going to the Wells Night at American Family Field to cheer on the Brewers. I heard there was a pastor gathering that I'm missing out on. Yes, the, for the Kringle Circuit. For for our new newly joined circuit, yes. that I'm going to be missing out on that tonight. So, yeah, and, sorry to all my fellow pastors that I'm ditching. Yeah, well, and I picked it first, not realizing that it was Wells Night, 
and then not caring that it was what the Wells ate the Brewers because uh, my daughters have the same view of baseball that I have, and my thinking is if you can chew sunflower seeds while you're playing the sport, it's really maybe not that much of a sport. Pastor Burgundy, respond. I'm still going to the game. <laughs> Actually, I have a couple extra tickets if anybody's interested, but the podcast will probably come out after yes. after the mm, game, so yeah. I'm sorry about that. You missed and out. And who are they playing? They're playing the Pittsburgh Pirates tonight. Are they going to win? They lost to the Cubs the other day, right? They lost to the Cubs. Yeah, they've kind of been back and forth. They'll win, and then they'll lose, and, but they lost their last game, so I'm kind of hoping that they'll What's their record? tonight. I don't know what their record is exactly, but I think they are. I think they're in first place in their division. Okay. So I just some... recently looked that up because I know nothing about sports, and I thought I should know a little bit about baseball. And I just looked that up, and yes, you are right. They're in first. First place. They've got some pretty decent pitching. Um, they've got some hitting that comes and goes. So if that were a little bit more consistent. When I follow baseball, I'm actually a Cubs fan. So I hope we can still be friends. Sure, absolutely. Okay. You probably have a lot of Cubs fans in your church. I've got a few of them, a few of them. So. But I, I do, it, being somebody who brews beer, I do like the Brewers. That's good. That's good there. You probably like their old logo then. The, uh, remind me. Well, I don't know if it means, <clears throat> really has anything to do with breweries, Brewers, but just, I think, what didn't they have the old logo? Before the M and B, didn't they have like the... The big kind of tubby like guy. the barrel man or yeah, something. Barrel man yeah, I think was. that was their their. And then you would like mascot before their, that. Their mascot now, Bernie. Bernie Brewer. Doesn't he come down the slide? Comes down a slide when they hit a home run. Yeah. So that's fun. That's about all I know of the Brewers. Because you don't like sports where they chew sunflower seeds. Oh, I love sunflower seeds, but but you don't like sports where they chew yeah. sunflower seeds while they're playing. If you're playing football or basketball or soccer or hockey while you're chewing sunflower seeds, you're probably going to be choking on them. Doesn't but, work. Doesn't work as well. Yeah, but baseball, you can chew them, and because it's a lot of inaction. But did you did you play sports? I played as a kid. Um, didn't play in high school but played baseball and basketball and that when i was a kid i was more of a band guy in high school so what did you play um i started off actually i started off very at a young age playing piano but then middle school i started playing trumpet and then i was a percussionist so i played drums just because i like to make a lot of noise i guess and so i was at all the football games but i was just in the band cheering them on so we we actually we're at MLC around the same time, and mm-hmm. I, I remember. I think you were in you were in the MLC concert band, yeah. didn't you? Yep, I did. I did band even through college as percussionist. well. Percussionist. Yep. Yeah. So, did, I was a percussionist at uh, prep in high school. Very nice. So, do you have a drum set? Not anymore. Um, I used to when I was younger, but I don't. Yeah. Should we get into the gospel lesson, Jeremy? I guess. All right. So the gospel, at least at uh, Water of Life this Sunday, is uh, at, at our church in Racine here. It's, again, it's going to be Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 51. When the days were approaching for him to be taken up, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. They went and entered a Samaritan village to make preparations for him, but the people did not welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. 
When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. You don't know what kind of spirit is influencing you. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's souls, but to save them. Then they went to another village. As they went on the way, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He, excuse me, he said to another man, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another man also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at my home. Jesus told him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So, Dustin, the way I like looking at this text is that Jesus is teaching his disciples. Uh, and so if you put yourself in the place of the disciples, uh, what is the account with the opposition of the Samaritan town teaching them? Well, I think when you look at the opposition of the Samaritan town, um, I think what, what Jesus' disciples can learn from that is that there's there's always going to be opposition uh, when you're when you're following the Savior and being scorned for the Lord's work. Um, that just kind of comes with the territory. Um, Jesus Himself told us that you know all men will hate you because of me, um, and so maybe there's the temptation you know for pastors or for just as Christians in general to think well do I want to try to avoid opposition then just kind of take the easy way out and um, n no um, most Jews if you look at the reading here you know, most Jews they would go around Samaria to get to Jerusalem when they were going there but that's not what we see in Jesus here um, in the in the gospel Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem and he knows full well what's ahead of him. He knows that it's the suffering and the cross and, and the paying for the sins of the world. And yet we're told that he just sets out resolutely. He sets his face towards Jerusalem and, and he wants to, you know, shine the light of salvation, even in Samaria, even against these, these enemies um, that, there may, that they may be saved as well. So with that, and you kind of touched on it, what about then applying it to today? What does this kind of teach our people to whom we minister about opposition and, and facing opposition? Because I, I think that people today, it's one side or the other. You know, you are either all in for me or you're all in against me. And there's no middle ground we're not able to discuss. And I think a lot of people are afraid to wade into that and maybe even be just as guilty as everyone else that's on social media. Well, I guess it's mainly on social media where it's like that. I think if we talk to people, mm -hmm. and for our listeners, if you talk to people, you're not going to find people that are like that in a normal conversation like this. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, I think a lot of people are just... I think a lot of people are just afraid to discuss religion because it seems to be this you know, black or white, you know, just one, one way or the other. Um, and I think having conversations with people and, and getting, getting to know where they're at and trying to figure that out. I, I think there's ways that you can find common ground as you, as you have discussions with people and, and find ways to, to share, to, to share your light with them. So Jeremy, 
same thing with the disciples. What is the man who said he would follow Jesus wherever Jesus went? What is that teaching them about their future ministry? Well, uh, which one are you talking about? Are you... The first one. So uh, Jesus said, oh, oh, the very, very first. Um, and then Jesus responded with foxes have holes, birds of the air yep. have nests. Um, he, he's, he's telling him that uh, you, you should, you, you, don't be surprised if you have to give up creature comforts in order to follow me. Uh, because he, he's saying if, if you always want to be guaranteed creature comforts, and I, I heard a, a recent a sermon on this text, and the, uh, the preacher was making the point that uh, if, if, you want, if you want to always be comfortable, well, then you should become a fox or a bird because God always is going to make sure that the birds and the foxes have uh, places to live. Uh, and if that's, if that's what's most important to you, that you're guaranteed a place to live, well, then be a fox or a bird. But no, he, God has made us humans. And if you're listening to this podcast, that means you're not a fox or a bird. You're a human. And uh, that may mean that God asks you to do what he asked his son to do, which is to give up uh, the comforts of, uh, for Jesus, it was the comforts of uh, eternal bliss and glory in heaven. And for us, it may be our, our homes. Uh, and we sing that too in the uh, Reformation hymn, don't we? The, we talk about uh, if they take our life, goods, fame, child, wife. I, I think now the modern translation is a little different, but it's the same concept. What if, what if you have to give up your home because of your faith? Yeah, and with that, uh, I, I think too, it's for our people, but for our people to listen to this and then think of their call workers, their pastors and teachers, and how much they often give up. You know, the missionaries, you know, we just had on Ben Foxen and, and what he's giving up going to another another nation uh, as far as the creature comforts that we have here in America, a little different in Africa. And for us as pastors that we may, we don't get to choose where we live. You know, we get a choice of, you know, where I am, or, well, Jeremy and you, you and I and Racine or you, Dustin and Bristol, we get a choice of there or somewhere else. And not, you know, hey, you know what? I want to move to Arizona or Louisiana or Florida or wherever it is, like other people might be able to do and look for a business uh, opportunity there. No, we're, we go where the Lord calls us to go. And then we see the ministry there, and it may not be the, quite the house that we want to live in. And we may not be able to have a, the same kind of job for our wife, and our kids may not have the same kind of school. They're definitely giving up their friends. And so uh, for our members of our congregations to understand what they're, uh, they're called workers are giving up, sometimes they give up a lot of evenings because, you know, like say like our teachers, they're teaching all day, then they go and they're oftentimes stu- uh, preparing for the next week or next night's lesson, grading, and they're often coaching too. So Dustin, what about... The man who wanted to bury his father before he followed Jesus. I guess I look at, you know, you look at any of these things that people had on their minds and on face value, they might, they might not all seem like really unreasonable requests, you know, let me bury my father. And yet when you look at Jesus response to him, it almost seems like 
there's more to his request than that. And, you know, I looked at that and, you know, maybe, maybe his dad isn't dead yet. Maybe he's just old, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe the thought of this guy is, you know, Jesus, let me get things squared away in my life and let me, you know, complete this stage of my life. And then I'll be ready to follow you as if, um, when Jesus fits my schedule a little bit better, then, then maybe I'll have more time to follow him. So just kind of, you know, for this guy, it seems like there's some cracks in his commitment to Jesus, even though he says he's ready to be committed. And so I think, you know, the, the point that Jesus makes to him is, you know, keep your priorities where they need to be. And I think that's, you know, certainly applicable for us today too, as we, as we look at our calendars, whether it's a paper calendar, you got it written down or your Google calendar on your computer. It's like, there's, there's so much stuff to do. And yet, Jesus is going to Jerusalem because he's got this mission to save us. And, you know, this is really what's most important and, and nothing is going to get in his way. And, and do we always act that same way as, you know, sharing our faith and, and spreading the gospel is this is more important or it's important, you know, when I, when I have time for it, when I can fit it into my schedule, that type of thing. It kind of reminds me of uh, people with their, their work schedules that often, at least when I was in the parish, you ask, people, well, why, why don't we see you in church? Oh, well, I've, I've got to work on Sundays and I'll, I'll get back to church, but uh, first I need to, I, I need to, you know, finish this uh, series of shifts on the work schedule. Um, and, uh, and the other thing that came to mind uh, that you, you reminded me of while we were talking is just last week with the youth rally, which the theme was here and now. And, and the point was telling kid to the kids at the youth rally, um, you you may think that uh, it's not the right time for you to be a, a, a servant of God, serving him however you do it. You could become a pastor teacher. You could, uh, any uh, career that you pursue. And, and they used Esther as the focal point to say she she kind of had a, some excuses that she was making with her schedule, like, uh, well, I don't know if this is the right time for me to speak up on behalf of the Jews. And Mordecai let her know, no, it needs to be, it needs to be here and now. Your priority uh, needs to be uh, God's kingdom. And that's, uh, you kind of worked that into the prayer of the church on Sunday, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, and when you were talking, Jeremy, about, you know, priorities and coming to church, uh, the conversation that came to mind was I remember back when I was in Radcliffe, Kentucky, going with one of our elders to go visit one of our inactive members, and she met us outside the door, and I talked to her about coming to church, and she said, well, my husband and I were still fighting a lot, but the sex is great. And, oh, my goodness. I, I did not want to hear Too that. much information. Yes, I did not want to know that. Uh, and unfortunately, that's in my head all this time. <laughs> uh, but what you were saying, Dustin, about uh, Jesus being determined to go, I was planning on preaching on this text, and then I ended up preaching on the here and now theme from the youth rally. But I worked the determined to go into the children's devotion, and just because Luke uses that twice by inspiration of the Spirit, Jesus was determined to go. Just that whole determination, nothing was going to stop him. And, and I think that's the key that I was trying to, that I'm trying to get across to the kids of, you know, where, where someplace that you really want to go and, 
you know, whether it's Disney World or it's the lake or gator hunting, whatever it is, they're determined to go and nothing's going to stop them. That's the way Jesus was with his ministry to be able to bring about uh, serving and saving humanity. And that's the kind of determination we need to have. But it's about priorities. Uh, what about uh, Jeremy, the man who wanted to say goodbye to his family? What is that teaching? What is Jesus teaching his disciples there? It, it's it's kind of another spin on the same uh, theme, which is that uh, you you have you have priorities, and uh, there there are priorities and there are distractions. And uh, uh, Jesus' priority was setting his face to Jerusalem, getting getting the work of our salvation done. And then uh, th- this uh, person's priority is uh, his family. And it's not that family is a bad thing. It, like uh, Pastor Burgundy said, these seem like pretty reasonable requests. I, I want to take care of my father's funeral before I go. I want to say goodbye to my family. And uh, it, I guess you can understand it best if you look just at what Jesus' response is. And uh, Jesus said, <clears throat> uh, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And in that in that sermon that I heard on this text not long ago, uh, I had always thought of it as looking back as being, um, well, distracted or, or reminiscing about the past and, and looking, I guess I pictured it as the, the farm, uh, the farmhouse, like looking back at the farmhouse and I wish I could be back in bed. You know, you know what I've always said, uh, Zerushadai, I've always, I've always said that, um, pastor, uh, uh, People, uh, boys from farming families make the best pastors. My my preaching uh, homiletics professor at the seminary was from a farming family, and uh, the classmate that I'm talking about who preached the sermon on this text was from a farming family. And uh, I just realize now that that's also a compliment to you because I, I do understand this uh, this from a farming aspect about the plowing of because I know what it's like to. Uh, to plant. I never got to do the, the hay baling or the corn picking. My dad had that had that down. But the planting, that's the pretty important. And it's, plant, it's in a straight line. And if you're looking backwards at all, you know, then you start weaving. And, now the, and then everything grows up. The corn grows up and is not in line anymore. And now if, say, you're third row in planting your corn and you're you're off a little bit, it's going to be way off later on down the field, which is way different from farming today where they've got these huge tractors or air conditioning. They have GPS. And you can just, the farmer can hit a button and it will automatically drive. Maybe that's what progress days at Bristol. Yeah, come check it out this weekend. <laughs> what I, I think for, for those of us not from a farming background, uh, at, at least two analogies I can think of. One of them is uh, when you're uh, uh, running in, in track. I, I didn't do a lot of that as a kid, but I did know one of the things they said was, you just keep looking. If you even look at one of the other runners, like turn your head, you are redirecting your efforts and, and energy away from getting across the finish line. And just by looking to one side to see what your competition is doing, 
you are slowing yourself down that much. Uh, if you just keep looking ahead, uh, you're going to stay the course and, and hopefully win the race. Uh, but uh, even if you're not an athlete, I, I know this would apply also when it comes to mowing the lawn. Uh, if you want to make mm-hmm. nice straight lines, don't be looking at the, 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 the ground around you or behind you. You have to pick out a point at uh, the opposite end of the yard and keep looking at that and you'll have nice straight uh, lines when you mow. And the the reason Jesus brings this up is because what do we so often do as humans? We want to be looking back at our past accomplishments. We want to, we want to look back and say, uh, well, here's what I did uh, when, you know, I, I was uh, in college or here's what I did at this at this job or that job and we want to get credit for it. And, and that is not only trusting in our works instead of grace, it, it's also going to distract us from doing good in the future. One of our members shared this meme on Facebook this week of two swimmers. One of them was Phelps, and he was in the front, and you know he was focused on the finish line. And then the guy to his right in this image, he was looking while he's swimming at Phelps to his left. And the meme said... Winners focus on the goal, losers focus on those around them. And that's what I, so I commented with our members said, ah, that's why you're always looking at me. (laughs) But but what you're saying is true of looking back, but I think it's also true of looking around. Looking at what is everyone else doing, and then you're distracted by that. Going back to the youth rally, I think that's one of the neat things with that rally is, yeah, the the teens are looking at each other, but those teens are confident enough, too, that they're looking ahead. And and they're looking at the here and now, what the theme was, which is really cool. Uh, One of the things that uh, Rachel Bushkoff, one of our counselors and one of our, our chaperones and our third grade teacher, she brought up, which I thought was a great point with that youth rally, that I hadn't thought of is, and I, and I did bring it up to our teens in our Bible study Thursday night, was that uh, how, how important this rally is. I said, your $400 that uh, you paid to come here, that doesn't cover the cost of everything that's going on here. All the rent of the buildings, the air conditioning, all the food these kids consumed, the, the musical artist and so forth, the... Uh, tortillas to slap each other, all that stuff. I said, the Wells put out a lot of money for this. Why? And then, you know, they gave their answers. And the answer I gave them too was because they're investing in you. Because as you guys know each other now, now think of in a couple of years when you're uh, in your mid-20s and you're in your early 30s and so forth, now you are the leaders in our congregation. And you know each other, and you're ministering together, and that that's huge. And in that respect, looking at each other is a good thing. But too often we look, and it's a negative thing. Pastor, Pastor Burgundy, have you ever heard of a contest where you take a mouthful of water, and the uh, partner that takes a mouthful of water with you, you take turns slapping each other with a tortilla? I just heard of it actually this week. I think I saw a video of a fellow pastor who was doing that in his church parking lot or something like that, and they were. But no, I had not heard of that before. He he, he wasn't at the youth rally. I think yeah, I think he was at the youth rally. But then he tried it. So at then home. he tried it at his home congregation. Okay. And maybe you should try that at Progress Days. Well, maybe we can start something. You should new. do that during the parade. There you go. 
I'm sure that would be a big hit. <laughs> cool, cool, cool each other off with uh, mouths full of water. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, the last question I have for you guys on this text is when James and John, the sons of thunder, want to call down lightning uh, from heaven. Lord, do you want us to call down from fire from heaven to consume them? So, Dustin and then Jeremy, when's a good time to call down judgment on our wicked and adulterous nation? Because I think we could all agree... America that we live in right now is a pretty wicked and adulterous generation. So when's a good time to call down judgment? And when's a good time just to keep preaching the gospel during the opposition? I think when I look at this text, I think, yeah, we want to be like James and John and we want to bring down that heavenly fire. And yet um, being committed to Jesus is also about being committed to his mission, his mission to save. And so I I think I, what I see in Jesus here is a lot of patience with these people. Um, you know, these these people that he's talking to with their questionable commitment, he doesn't say, oh, well, it's too late for you now. You've missed your chance. And yet he's patient with them. Um, he, he encourages all of these people and he calls them to follow them because he wants them to follow him. And I, I think that's, that's, that's a good example for us, too, is that, you know, our knee-jerk reaction might be to just call down judgment, and yet God is patient with all people because he wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So um, just being, being, being willing to be patient with them is, I, I think, something. And yet we all know that at a time that patience is going to run out, you know, for God and, and judgment is coming, but do everything we can to, to reach them in love. I think that would be something that I would pick out of this reading. And my, my first instinct was, uh, let God take care of the, the calling down judgment. That's kind of the point Jesus is making. He, he says, you, you're being influenced by a spirit, uh, and it's not the Holy spirit. And, uh, in Romans Paul writes, "Vengeance is God's. Let let Him take care of it. Uh, if you if you try to get, take vengeance into your own hands, uh, I suppose that would even apply just with verbal vengeance, even with just uh, you know yelling or uh, calling down uh, angry words on people. Uh, then then your God is saying, well, you did the job now, and uh, now you actually step. Here's here's my judgment. It's the freight train, and it's coming at that evil person, and you just stepped in the way of the freight train. You you, you thought that you could carry out vengeance the best possible that uh, it could be, and now the freight train is going to take you out. Um, uh, I, I was also just going to say, uh, to the point about compassion and, and patience, that uh, it doesn't really ever say that these people that Jesus rebuked, you could call them rebukes, couldn't you? The, he says foxes have holes and uh, let the dead bury their own dead. Uh, but even when he rebukes these people, uh, Luke doesn't tell us how the story ends. He doesn't say they, uh, then they, they left and they went away sad and uh, never followed Jesus again. No, maybe they, maybe they thought twice about it and did have a change of heart. Maybe they didn't, but uh even even with this rebuke, uh, you see uh, Jesus' patience. So, what what would you guys say to this? Of that we do that we can be praying for judgment when we pray the petitions in the Lord's Prayer of Thy will be done and deliver us from evil. And I, I think there is room for calling down judgment. And you guys can disagree, and that's fine. 
of calling down judgment and to say, God, this isn't a wicked and adulterous generation as we see things like CRT and uh, wokeness and the atheism and so forth and, and how that's infiltrating our young people and then now there's these mass shootings and so forth. Uh, and I think we can pray, you know, deliver us from evil. God, bring down judgment on these on this wicked and adulterous generation and deliver us who are your people from that but your will be done and if you're not going to bring down judgment then soften their hearts so that we can share the gospel is that right so you're making reference to uh luther's explanation of the uh imprecatory psalms yeah. where he, luther says that why why are there these psalms where it says uh please uh break the teeth of God's enemies and please uh, crush the the babies of uh, God's enemies. Um, how can how can we pray for such things? And Luther says, well, you do that all the time when you say thy kingdom come or thy will be done because you're asking God to destroy the opposite of whatever is his will and the opposite of whatever is his kingdom or his name. And I, I think the distinction would be you don't realize that you're praying that. You, you're just saying God's will be done, and it, his will in this case or that case may be to uh, wipe somebody out or to to bring justice uh, to somebody that has uh, sinned. And uh, you, you, it's not your personal observation that is making the determination to call down judgment. It is you saying, God, do the right thing here. And it just so happens that the right thing is... Yeah. Carrying out judgment. Right. And what I'm saying then, too, is instead of just saying it in the Lord's Prayer, take the time to uh, take those petitions out and add something, like you're saying, those imprecatory psalms. Add your psalm, your petition to each petition. Don't just cover it all. Hey, I prayed for judgment and I prayed for gospel because I said the Lord's Prayer. I'm done in 22 seconds and move on. No, take some long time in your prayers and then call down judgment on the wicked and adulterous generation as uh, if that's God's will, and then call down the Holy Spirit to soften people's heart to share the gospel on those as well, because that's in the... But take time. So who's right here, him or me? I think we're saying the same thing. <laughs> Pastor Burgundy? Yes. Settle the discussion. <laughs> uh, should we get in the epistle lesson? I, I wanted to put him on the hot seat. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Yes, we can do the epistle. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 11, I'll begin with the second half of verse 21. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he writes, However bold anyone might be, I'm speaking in a foolish way, I am going to be bold too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's seed? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I am speaking in a crazy way. I am even more. I've done more hard work, been in prisons more often, been whipped far more, and I've been close to death many times. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day on the open sea. 
I have often been on journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger on the sea, in danger among false brothers. I have worked hard and struggled. I've spent many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty. I've gone without food many times. I've been cold and lacked clothing. Besides those external matters, there is the daily pressure on me of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who falls into sin without my being distressed? If it is necessary that I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So, Dustin, Paul is writing to a specific audience of the super apostles. So, who are the super apostles and why does Paul boast about these apostolic accomplishments that he calls weaknesses here. So the uh, super apostles were people who were really impressing the Corinthians because they were they were wearing their capes. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were boasting about the things that made them look great, and and the Corinthians were really taken in by this, um, and yet so Paul boasts about something completely different. He says, I'm going to boast, but I'm going to boast about the things that, that make me look weak. Uh, because really the, the things that, you know, the things that we can fall into the same trap too, the things that we, sorry, the things that we take pride in can ultimately lead us away from God. And so Paul here is, is boasting in the things that, that make him look weak because, uh, when when Paul is weak, then he knows that God is strong, and so he's kind of drawing that comparison um, by boasting in different things than the super apostles. So, Jeremy, verses twenty one and twenty three. What phrases in those verses tell us that Paul was very uncomfortable in boasting like this? Well, when he says, "I am speaking in a foolish way," or "I am speaking in a crazy way," um, I, I suppose that's a uh, that that's kind of that kind of has apologetic implications. That um, he he's wanting to speak to the Corinthians on their own terms, or at least on even even in their sinful way of uh, looking at the super apostles, they're being impressed by the outward things, and so they're they Paul is saying, okay, let's pretend like the outward uh, accomplishments are a big deal. Uh, let me let me talk that kind of crazy language. Uh, here's. Here's here are my credentials. Here's here's what I've gone through. I'm a minister of Christ. I'm a Hebrew. Uh, I've been beaten and and gone through hardships in my travels, uh, and and that that's kind of what uh, apologetics really is. It's um, it's more than just evangelism. It's uh, listening to evangelism is you share God's word. You you share the good news. Apologetics is you listen it, it, based on First Peter three. Uh, Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer. And the idea of answer means you have first listened to somebody else make uh, an argument or make a criticism of the Christian faith, and then you respond in the terms that that person uses. You, you, said, I'm, you say, I'm going to speak your language and, and try to relate to you as you're thinking of things right now. And that's really what... Uh, Paul is doing right here. He's saying, I'm going to speak the language of this, this crazy, this is crazy talk. This is a foolish way of talking, but I'm going to do it because I want to win you over. And, and I would add to that too, that 
it's hard for Paul as a minister, like hopefully it is for all of us as ministers of the gospel, to sound boastful, you know, to to be braggadocious. Now, that being said, it's not really that hard for me to be braggadocious. That uh, what? <laughs> it, not, not this is come, what are you talking about? This is shocking to, to me. Not when it comes to ministry. Uh, so can, like, can I just read your shirt for a second? Let me can. see. The Dadalorian, like a dad, just way cooler. Uh, see also handsome, exceptional. This is this is the T-shirt that Zaretta Shai is wearing right now. He's kind of a big deal. Yes. Well, I was going to say that you know two weeks ago we had Paul Patterson on the podcast and he was talking smack about bags or cornhole. I just want our listeners to know that. Uh, Paul was paired up against me, and he did not win the games. So that may have had something to do with his partner. I won't say who his partner the, was, but the, 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 you should be adding. This is crazy talk. This yes, is this is foolish that I that I have to bring this up right now. It's not though. What what would be crazy talk is talking about the ministry and boasting about the ministry. Uh, this would be something I'll mention on Sunday in our church. And that, uh, as I'm talking in the sermon on the youth rally of here and now, I was setting up some group texts for our teens, because now I'm the youth pastor, and uh, I've been talking to our congregation saying, we have 30 teenagers. What congregation our size has 30 teenagers? But when I started laying it out the group texts, and my daughters advised me, you can only have 20 people in a group text. So I laid out all our new 7th graders all the way up to the new 12th graders. And we're not at 30. We're at 56 teenagers. And that's a lot of teenagers. And I'll boast on that, but, it, but knowing it has nothing at all to do with me. I've just been able to be here and be blessed to be able to minister to these families that have one or two kids and then families that have a lot more kids. And they just happen to all fall in the, that teen age range, and and I think uh, that's that that boasting, but also you know boasting in a in a humble way is hey I get to serve these kids and these are these are good teens these are awesome and fun people to be around. It was it was interesting though as I'm exhausted from the youth rally, then uh, Saturday morning as I'm getting ready to I write my sermon and everything, I get. I got a reminder that we had to go to our Christian friends, which is our 15 over uh, July 4th party. So it was a little different generation. They were like the grandparents age of our teens. They weren't quite as active as our teens. Uh, another question. I just wanted to add that you're, if, if, if we do boasting in our ministry, uh, hopefully it's going to be like the apostle Paul here, which it, it was, it was designed to because it was necessary in order to reach uh, the the Corinthians where they were at, and if you're just if you're just boasting to make yourself feel good, uh, then that's obviously not the right kind of boasting. But here Paul is saying this this is inspired by the Holy Spirit for one thing, but for another thing, this is so that I can relate to you with your own terminology. Well, with that, so Dustin and Jeremy, so as you're going say door-to-door, you're meeting the visitors. You say you got a lot of visitors coming to the church now. Do you find yourself boasting about the ministries you have at your church? And if you do, why? I try not to boast about my church, but I 
tell them that there's, you know, there's a lot of good things, a lot of opportunities for them to but to that, grow in their faith. Isn't that boasting? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. A lot. Yeah, but is that, is that a bad thing? <laughs> no, I, I think that, I think that that's that's a good thing if it's if it's shining the spotlight on Christ. You yeah. know, this is this is a way our church exists, and these are ways that we can help you grow in your faith and and strengthen your relationship with God. So I think, you know. It's it's good boasting in the fact that it's shining the spotlight on Jesus. Well, and I think it, maybe just looking at it from the negative, it it's it's not good. It's not shining the spotlight on Jesus if if you're just kind of like oh shucks ho hum about my church like like oh, we don't really have a whole lot going on or, or maybe even worse you complain about your church and and I I would maybe apply this even on a larger scale to uh, our church body. I I think it would it's a great thing that we have. Our church body, our national church body, has a baseball game tonight. <laughs> it's Wells Night, and, and I think that's worth bragging about. It's worth letting people know. We have a really neat thing with our national church body, but instead when you're like, oh, well, it's the, the old stuck-in-the-mud Wells way, that's saying the opposite of that may be seen as boasting, but putting it in such a negative light is not glorifying Christ either. Well, and I was going to ask you at this, Jeremy, do you find yourself and your fellow teachers, your administration at Shoreland, maybe needfully boasting about your school to the people that we're trying to get into the school? If we want, yeah, if we want, well, that's when we, uh, orientation, not orientation, uh, open house. When we have open house nights, we're giving tours to prospective families of students. We We don't want to be like... Well, it's it's an okay school. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's yeah. it's we, this is a really high quality education, and and we want you to be part of it. We think you want you should want to be part of it. Right, and uh, I was just talking to when I talked to the pastors that we've called to serve us. One of the things I'll boast about too, besides the teens, now that I realize how many we have, is uh, the different ministries we have in our congregation that are lay led that I really have nothing to do. I kind of work with the leaders, but then the leader, then the, uh, the lay people taken on. I think that talks a lot about spiritual health in a congregation. And, and I'm going to brag about that because that's the Holy Spirit working through these people to work through uh, sometimes a lot of it's fellowship, but fellowship to grow the body of Christ, to bring them back into the church or keep them in the church through the means of grace. Last question I have for you guys. Uh, why would Paul want to display his weaknesses and not his strengths? Because if you look at these weaknesses, uh, notice, you know, he's talking about things you wouldn't really want to brag about. Yeah, I got shipwrecked, I got beaten, I got chased out of town. And then notice, too, he doesn't play the victim. Because that's kind of our culture, isn't it, to play the victim. So uh, first, Dustin, why would Paul want to display his weaknesses and not his strengths? Um, I guess I think I go back to, you know, what he talks about in Philippians with the secret to being content and I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, you know, all the, all of the, the things that Paul endured that, that really didn't earn him any points with God. So why is he, why is he boasting about it? Well, because he knows the price has already been paid by somebody else. He knows that, um, he already had new life in Jesus. Um, he, so Again, shining the spotlight on Jesus um, and 
having, you know, having been free from freed from his sin and guilt because of what Jesus had done for him. That's why, that's why he, he boasts in these things that is so counter to what the world would boast in, uh, very countercultural as, as far as what he's doing there with his boasting. And with that, Jeremy, I talked about with the victims. So how would you use this in our victim culture? You know, because everyone wants to play the victim. How do you how do you relate Paul's words here to that that victim culture that we're caught up on caught up in? Well, I think part of the victim culture is uh, finding the uh, point pointing a finger at the bad guy. Uh, so if if uh, it's the victimization of a minority, we in our sinful in our sinful nature we want to. Uh, really harp on whoever is the the predominant race and and they must be you know especially more evil than all other races um, well here with Paul he says yes I, I was beaten I was um, whipped I, I was in shipwrecked and and uh, threatened by uh, bandits or robbers whatever it might be and yet he doesn't he, he's not really putting much of a spotlight at all on the wrongdoers. Uh, he's more so saying, these bad things happened to me. And his point is, but look, I'm still alive. I still came through this. And that is a testimony to the God who brought me through this uh, and, and sustained me and saved me and rescued me. Uh, so it, it's more meant to glorify God uh, rather than say, uh, all these bad things happened to me, and uh, here are the oppressors that we now need to bring to justice. He, he's not really interested in bringing the oppressors to justice. He's more so saying, bad things happened to me, and God still brought me through them. That ought to tell you something about how God can bring you through your hardships. And, and with that, I think it's necessary to uh, close with that last verse. Who is weak without my being weak? Who falls into sin without my being distressed? If it is necessary that I boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. And I think that's important for us as pastors and our people to understand. It's okay to uh, to understand that we're weak, that we're not victims, uh, except maybe victims of our own sinful nature and victims of the devil. Uh, but other than that, we can rely on the victor of Jesus Christ to get us through these weaknesses and give us strengths. Anything else you guys want to bring up on these two lessons? All right. So this is Michael Zarling with Dustin Burgundy and see the lightning at the end of the tunnel. Uh, let the one who is thirsty come. <laughs> let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends. Then drink deeply from the water of life.